This is Real Good by U.S. Bank, a podcast about helpers. We make good decisions. We know our customers. We work with our customers. So help us help our customers. And we can do it together. And if we all do it together, we're all minimizing all of our risk because we're a team going in there. I'm Faith Saley. The impact of the novel coronavirus is hard to overstate. It upended life for everyone. It created a new normal full of new problems, but it also shined a light on issues that have long existed in communities across the country. This show is dedicated to the stories of people making a difference. Folks who are fighting for those in need against problems old and new, isolated and intersectional. Each week, we'll talk with nonprofit leaders organizing vital aid, U.S. Bank team members supporting their efforts, and those people whose lives they're changing. This week, our guest is Inez Long, the CEO and president of the Black Business Investment Fund, or BBIF, in Florida. Inez is from this community. She is in it. Her family goes back centuries in Florida. And she didn't just show up to help, she stayed to lead. And my conversation with Inez reminds me that we all need to show up, but it's not enough to ask questions and learn. Then we have to do the work and then we have to keep showing up. My name is Inez Long. And my title is President CEO of Black Business Investment Fund, or BBIF, as most people know us by. And we are a CDFI. You know what? We're going to get to the CDFI part in a second, because I want you to explain what that is. But I want to hear I want to hear your story. You are you are what they call flow grown. Yes. Yes. I am Floridian. I am Floridian straight through. I am a fifth generation Floridian on both my mother's side and my father's side of the family. Fifth generation. So that's on going both back sides, into yes. 19th century. Yeah. Right? So I can trace my family back on both sides to the late 1800s. Were your grandparents, great, 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 I, I don't know how many greats, were, were they slaves? Yes. On both sides. In Florida. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on my father's side, they were enslaved in the state of Georgia and they moved down from the green plantation to um, a county called Sumter County, which is north of Orange County. And they established a community there. One of the one of the um, oldest um, African-American communities in the country uh, called Royal Florida. My family on my father's side was responsible for helping to establish that community. So you come from a long line of people who sort of step up and and create things. Absolutely. Some of the first um, school teachers and leaders within that community over there. So what is it like? This is something I will obviously never know. Y- you you say to me that you're. Uh, your great 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 grandparents were slaves, and you say it matter of fact because it is a fact. It is a fact of your history. But what is what is it like to utter that sentence? What what are the emotions that come with that? Well, I would say as a child, it was very painful. Um, as I grew and learned more about the tenacity of those people and learned about them. As my dad would take us every summer to the Father's Day family reunions, I became very proud of them because in spite of, there were people that in spite of, they still they still did things that, they, that needed to be done in spite of. And yes. so I think they, I think um, that, com- that has come to me through my DNA in spite of, you know, we're gonna make this happen. We're gonna do, what we can do to support ourselves and each other. And we're gonna do it in partnership and collaboration with whoever wants to work with us. 
we're going to make it happen. What about Florida feels so special to you? Well, the fact that I have so, so deep roots here um, and uh, it's, it's urban now, but in some parts of Florida, it's still very rural. So to go back to some of those communities and just regular people, you know, just good people, uh, it's, very, it's comforting to me um, to be a part of both parts of that, uh, the modern progress and still, you know, be a part of the rural part of Florida uh, where just regular people exist. And the things that are most important to them are just the love and support of family. That doesn't leave me, and I love that part. And I've tried to bring that part into the family that I've been blessed to have. I think um, uh, if people don't live in Florida, and if they're not really familiar with Florida, I have tons of family in Florida, um, they don't realize that Florida isn't just beaches, Miami, and Disney World. That is correct. That is correct. There's a part of Florida that's not tourists. That's just regular people, you know? And of course, you know, you don't get to see a whole lot of that, you know, where right. you just go over and maybe you're just having a family barbecue. Maybe somebody's just going out, you know, to fish or hang around or whatever, you know, uh, and just hang out in the country. Maybe you don't see that part. You don't get to feel that part of Florida. Um, and I don't, and I don't think people, um, if people think of people of color in Florida, they think maybe of like a Hispanic community, in the you know, in Miami. But I don't think people think of of black Floridians very much. Am I, I right about that? I agree with you. I don't think our story has had much of a voice in the mainstream. I mean, you have several um, African-American communities in Florida. You have Eatonville, um, which is a little north of Orlando, adjacent to Maitland. Um, you had Rosewood, of course, people heard about that, um, which is around uh, Gainesville, Florida, burned down, kind of like Black Wall Street was burned down in Oklahoma, where we had a Rosewood. We had Okoy, the city of Okoy, another city that was African-American, burned down. Um, when, when did that happen? I don't know about Rosewood and Okoy. Oh, wow. So Okoy was burned down in the late 20s as was Rosewood. They did a movie on Rosewood. So you, you have- I have a lot of learning to do. Oh yeah, so when you, uh, you know, and that's the part of the American history that's not told and people don't know about it. And so when folks see African-Americans and they say, oh, you know what, um, economically you're on the very bottom and you've been here so long, what's up with that? Well, it's oh. because you make them. black people, African-Americans have built things and then it's been destroyed and taken from them. So yeah. wealth has continuously just been robbed of the communities, you know, and I think that if as people can learn more about that, then they can understand uh, what the plight is and where we're at right now, why the struggle is still there in so many ways. You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying? So, Absolutely. you know, even with um, Royal, the city of Royal, many African-Americans were given the 40 acres and the mule after the Civil War ended, only for uh, the government to come back later and take it from many of them. So, you know, wealth constantly being taken and stolen from African-Americans. And so... I don't know, how do I, so that comes to, how do I get to BBIF? Isn't it, it's, you know. Thank you, that's that's my next question. <laughs> you you just said it for me. That's, how do you get to BBIF? When, when you, I know you have an MBA. When, when, when you were getting your BA in accounting at the University of Southern Florida, did you think, did you think, you know what? Someday I'm gonna be a CEO and I'm going to help my people. Nothing like that was in my mind. All I thought was, I'm going to get an accounting degree. I'll probably go back and get a CPA later. Going to work in either an accounting firm or in a bank, you know, and just, you know, and go about my career. And somewhere along the line, I remember as, as if it was yesterday, I'm sitting in 
uh, my office in the bank. I'm working in a bank in corporate America, and I'm reading the newspaper about this black business investment fund that had been created recently. And the purpose of it was to um, provide guarantees to member banks that wanted to do loans for black businesses. And I was a commercial lender. And there was this deal that I had been trying to do for a couple of months, was having difficulty getting uh, my boss to write off, to approve it. And it was for a black um, businessman. And so I just picked the phone up and gave the uh, call to the organization, spoke to the lady over there to get a clear understanding how it worked, found out how it worked, packaged my deal, got on agenda to their loan committee and went over and presented it for a guarantee, got the guarantee, brought it back and was able to do the deal within my firm. Um, and so I got a call probably two weeks later from the president of the BBIF and she's like, hey, let's do lunch. So I do lunch <laughs> with her and she's like, oh my God. She's like, you know, you're so smart. She's like, the way you came over and presented that deal, you know, this organization could use your sorts of talent. And I'm like, okay. And it's like this little <laughs> tiny, tiny um, nonprofit. And I'm working at the time for what became First Union, huge corporation. Mm -hmm. I'm an officer. Why would I leave my position to go and work for a little tiny nonprofit? Why would you, Inez? Only after several lunches with her, when she made the statement one day at lunch, she said, you know what? You have been blessed to go inside of that corporation and get all of that training and all of that learning. Imagine if you could continue to be paid, but you could bring all of that talent to the community and help your community, which so desperately needs that help. And mm -hmm. that statement stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And um, and so based upon that, and I thought about it and it just touched me and I called her later and said, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And so when I told my colleagues in the bank, they're like, are you insane? <laughs> are you, do you realize what you're talking about doing? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna ditch your whole career you're going to lose your career and go work for this little nonprofit that has no money when you're set over here. Because at the time, to be honest with you, I was the only officer that was African-American in the bank in the area in commercial lending. Wow. So I, I took the plunge and I went over. And I haven't looked back because I discovered that there was so much that I could do that I even I never thought I could do. And it was just so much pain, so much need, you know. So I just took the approach. I had so many friends in, in the world of banking. I just took the approach. How can I help this person? Not, no, I can't help you, but how can I help you? So there may be things in which I can do, but there may be things that you need to do. You do what you got to do and I'll do what I got to do. So I brought my friends to the table and together we all helped so many businesses get capital within the Central Florida community. And so I learned early in my career that through partnerships and collaboration, people can come together and make things different than what they were. And that has been our history at BBIF. And we've had so many wonderful partners. I want to hear I want to hear about some specific stories about people you've helped and met along the way. Uh first just you've been at BBIF since 1991? Yeah, can right? you believe that? That's a long time, <laughs> my friend. I know, right? You, you took you took in your words this little nonprofit and and you've you've turned it into something. What is it, $75 million worth of loans and counting yes. that you've given to to black businesses? Yes. CDFI. What is CDFI? Because I know you took your organization through through a CDFI certification. 
So initially when I began working at BBIF, we were just a little tiny loan fund that the Central Florida community had created to help black businesses. That's what we were. And it was developed out of, I don't know if you know the history of Florida, but in the early 80s, there were riots similar to what we see today down in Miami. So the governor, Graham, and the leaders of of the state of Florida at that time said, what can we do to help blacks become more entrepreneur in the state? How can we help them? Because they had done this study and it said that um, the reason why blacks were riding in Miami is because they had no ownership of businesses mm-hmm. or anything else in the city and they were barely employed by those businesses. So they totally were disenfranchised. So they created these investment corporations for the sole purpose of helping to get capital to black businesses' hands. And the one in Orlando is the one that I went to work for. So we started out as a community-based entity. And what we were doing, we had very little capital, only a million two. So basically all we could do is provide guarantees uh, and to leverage, to close the, the gap, the credit gap, the capacity gap that the lender saw in the deal we would use the guarantee, which was cash, uh, almost like um, a CD in a sense, to that loan, to that um, to that bank to provide them comfort to do the deal. So if the deal okay, went so bi- so just so I understand, because I'm not I I'm not financially literate like you. So a guarantee is if if a small business wants a loan, they're getting it from a bank. They need somebody to back them up yes. and say, okay, just like my my dad helped me get my first apartment that I rented, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So you were, the, you were the mom and the dad. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's how you started. That is but how now, we started. And now so, BBIF it gives that money, right? That is You're correct. not just guaranteeing. That it. is correct. What do you, what does BBFI do that you feel like is different or you different than other nonprofits or unique? I think our approach to business development has been unique in that we see it more as holistic. Me coming from a very conservative financial background, um, meaning that as a banker, it's you're you're really you know how you risk rate loans. You really want to make sure that that client can repay you. So coming from that perspective. I took on the approach that I'm going to look at this client holistically. You're asking me to borrow monies from me. What is your capacity today? And and is it strong enough? And if it's not, what can I do as a CDFI to help you get stronger internal capacity, stronger management skill sets? So let me understand this. Instead of saying no, to someone who's not a, a strong candidate, you you say, okay, this is a challenge. How how can I help you so that you are a strong yes? Is that right? Right. So I may not That's be huge. able. Yeah, I can't. Maybe I can't loan you the money today. However, if you do these three things in six months, let's talk. Give me an example. What would be one thing you tell someone who's who's not yet a strong candidate to get a loan? So you don't have enough cash flow to repay me for what you're asking to borrow. Maybe you need to go out and get some additional revenues. Maybe that means get a few more contracts. Maybe that means getting a few more customers. But you need... And- and do you coach them through those suggestions? Yes. yes. Ah, so so this is the the scaffolding and support yes. that yes. It, it, it seems to me has so long been missing, right? Yes. You're like, you need some help and I'm going to hold your hand. Absolutely. And so I'm not going to help you from afar. I'm going to help yeah. you from within your business because now we're going to we're going to work this together. But I got to know what you really look like inside of your business. Let me see your financials. I mean, Inez, your the challenges that you face in Florida specifically and specifically right now at the time of the conversation you and I are having 
Florida is making headlines every day for surging numbers. So it must be such a uh, predicament um, is 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 an understatement that that you're in this place where the economy opened up really early um, and and which is in theory good for a lot of your clients and the people you help who need to make a living. But the cost of that is particularly right now in Florida is devastating. Yes, it is. How does BBIF look at that? How do you handle that? Well, we're very disappointed and very sad for our business community because we believe that some folks may not be able to come back from another shutdown. So the only thing we can do at this point is to really survey all of the clients and look at the ones that may have the greatest opportunity to come back and really try and help them. That's hard. It makes you, you know what? It makes you sound like an ER. Do you know what I mean? It makes it makes it sound like you have to tr- triage those those most in need and those with the most chance of surviving. That's got to be very difficult for it you. It is. It is. It's very difficult and it's very painful. But that's all we can do because we only have limited resources. Um, and so we can only work with the resources that we have. Can, can you can you tell me a particular story of of someone of people you've helped that that when you think on it it, it really moves you oh yes i can think of one of the first um general contractors that i helped early on when i started with bbif he needed to borrow twenty five thousand dollars and he couldn't get it from one of the banks and he came to bbif and we issued a 100 percent guarantee to the bank and got him that loan. And today he's developing properties and projects up with the with FAMU University in, in Tallahassee, Florida AM University. He's wow. helping to develop stadiums, housing, and a whole gamut of stuff up there. So you gave him some help and now he's creating opportunity for untold numbers of folks. Absolutely. I think that's what? that's one of the better stories. What's his first name? Derek Wallace is his name. First and last name. Yes. Good on Derek Wallace. Yes, construct too. When you know that you've been instrumental in a story like that, a story that keeps unfolding, do you think back to what your great, 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 great grandparents would, would say or think about you? Sometimes when I'm working, I think about my daddy. Uh, And I think about my mother and the things that they said to me. And I just only believe that in spirit that they're watching me and very proud. You know, um, I believe that, too. So that gives me, you know, a whole lot of pleasure that they're very proud of the things that that I do, that I carry on. With all the downturn affecting all areas of the economy, have you seen donation activity change? Yes, we've re- BBIF has received more help during this downturn. We created an emergency um, fund, COVID fund, and we had a goal of raising five million, and we're at about yeah. eight million right now. Oh, that is no wonder you think people are fundamentally good. That is so good to hear, Inez. So, so. It is really important for for donors like U.S. Bank to step in, and they're stepping up, it sounds like. Yes, yes. Donors understand that we have to provide capital, and they understand that we have to provide technical assistance. One of the things that U.S. Bank helped us with on the technical assistance side is our focus on minority general and subcontractors, a program that we're running Initially, it was not going to be a virtual program, but uh, due to the virus, it we had to redo it and it kicks off in a couple of weeks. It's totally virtual. And basically what's happening is that we have 10 minority and women general contractors that are each bringing three subcontractors with them. And so we have some 
tech companies that are donating some softwares to us that will help us help them manage their projects, but we're developing those contractors and those subcontractors. And we're working with governments in regards to the construction work that's going on. Because remember, the construction work has not stopped during the virus. That work has continued hmm. so that those businesses can still work and perform. Are there other, well, let me ask it this way. Um, what initiatives is BBF, what initiatives is BBIF undertaking specifically right now to help those affected by COVID? So what we've done is we have um, deferred loan payments of clients. Um, we've also worked with them, you know, to get the PPP loans. Now we're working with them to understand what they need to do in order to get the PPP loans forgiven. That's a lot of technical um, handholding yeah. that we're doing yeah. regarding all of those clients. Um, and the third thing we're doing, we were able to secure a million dollar loan fund, it, well, grant fund, that we're going to use those funds to provide grant dollars, probably layered like an onion for some of the businesses. So we're gonna put equity inside of them along with some um, really um, uh, creative long-term capital to help sustain them, to help them be resilient and scale up and come back. Early on in our conversation, you used the word blessed. Um, and you know, people are talking a lot about privilege these days. And, and being feeling blessed should not be confused with recognizing privilege. And I'd just love to know in what ways you feel blessed. I feel blessed that we were able to, one, get the capital to be able to put that money back into the business community. Because prior to getting those funds, we were only able to do about $3 million in small business lending to all of the small businesses last year outside of what, and that's not counting what we were able to do with our new markets and loan pools, but I'm just strictly speaking about $250,000 in lesson loans. And I'm hoping that us doing the 7 million over a 40, 45 day window will show investors, partners such as US Bank and others, you know what? If we were to make real capital available to BBIF, imagine how many black and Hispanic businesses they really could help. Mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's after PPP, what can we, I'm hoping that the investors will step back and say, what can we as national banks do that's similar to what we did during the PPP loan situation with the Federal Reserve Bank to help BBIF keep the ability to do $7 million in deals over the next 12 months. Because imagine what the landscape will look like within the minority community if we can be allowed to have $7 million and be as creative as we are with technical assistance to help these businesses. So that's, that's actually, that is what I'm hoping will happen. Okay. I'm hoping that those banks don't just go away and say, well, you know, we helped them during the PPP crisis. Um, do whatever you're gonna do for these guys afterward. But guess what? Now we got over 200 businesses, black and Hispanic, that are our customers and we know that they're gonna need capital, but we can't give it to them if we don't, if we, the CDFI doesn't have that capital. So we need the partner institutions to be creative to help us get this capital. And we're 30 years old, 33 years old. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> we do great business. Our ARES rating is excellent. Yeah. We run ourselves very, very well. 
So we're low risk. We make good decisions. We know our customers. We work with our customers. So help us help our customers after PPP. Help us yeah. save these 200 businesses and maybe even more because we'll pick up even more when we learn of them through Orange County's grants and through uh, Metro Dave grants. We're going to learn of more of them. Help us to help these business people because yeah. we cannot Don't do just it. plant the seeds. Help yes. us. We, we all got to keep watering. Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. And we can do it together. And if we all do it together, we're all minimizing all of our risks because we're a team going in there. I feel so grateful to talk to you today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for all you're doing. And please stay safe. A lot of people need you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for all your support. The partnership that U.S. Bank has with community development organizations like the BBIF is a bit different than the ones it has with other nonprofits. Impact investing is nuanced and comes with its own challenges and opportunities. We wanted to talk to someone at the bank who knows them well, so we spoke with Zoila Jennings, a VP and Relationship Manager for the bank's community finance efforts about how a human touch can help uplift people and businesses in need. Zoila, I feel like I can't have a conversation with you until I know where your <laughs> awesome name comes from. Um, well, let's see. There's so many stories. <laughs> like there's so many family myths about my name. Um, so first and foremost, it's like a family name. So I am the third Zoila of my family. And also, um, there's a fable that my dad likes to tell say that um, the family name came from a joke. So we, uh, our family last name, I'm Dominican, I'm Spanish, uh, and my family last name is Piña. And so uh, it, there was like a joke that Zoila also means I am Zoila. So they thought it would be funny to name my great aunt, um, I am Queen Pineapple. Soy la reina piña. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's such a funny joke. And then my um, my aunt is also named uh, Soy la reina, which is I am queen. And then she has our last I'm name. Queen. Um, and so uh, for me, they were like lost interest in the joke. And so I'm just Zoila. <laughs> there's, there's like no funny pun at the end of it. It's just Zoila. No, they just knew to yeah, take you yeah, seriously. Yeah. You're just, you're yeah, I am. Exactly. Zoila, what do you do at U.S. Bank? Yeah, so I've had many roles in community development. Um, in my current role, really my job is to help CDFIs do what they do best. What, what does it mean to do the kind of community development you do? Yeah, so we uh, are triple bottom line. So that means that we care about financial returns, social returns, and environmental returns. And I think the hot term right now uh, in the industry is impact investing, which I think lots of people are just so excited about, right? Like we can get both financial and social returns. And it's something that we've been doing, and by we, the CDC and US Bank for decades, where we are putting our communities at the center of everything that we do as a bank. And that means loans, deposits, and tax equity. And we also do it for a Community Reinvestment Act benefit. So most banks are judged on their CRA contributions and they're judged and they're regulated by it. And so uh, we- What is CRA? CRA is- now, I'm going to stop because I feel like I will not do it justice, but it was an act that was a past where it basically says, hey, bank, if you're going to have a branch in a neighborhood, particularly a low income neighborhood, you better invest back into those communities and not just take wealth away from it. Um, and so that was an act. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's really important. So it sounds like with what you do, you get to know, no matter where you sit or do your job, you kind of get to know different communities and, and what they need and how they flourish. Is that right? 
That's exactly right. And we are very much... I can see a smile on your face when I ask you that question. Yeah, well, that's why, nice. that's why I do this job because I think that for me, it's really important to have impact center around my work. So I joined the banking industry uh, right out of college and I joined it as a nonprofit lender because I just felt like I needed impact to be central to my work. And at the CDC, the US Bank Community Development Corporation, it is central to everything that we do is prioritizing the communities that we serve. And can you tell me how you work with BBIF yeah. and my new friend um, and inspiration, Inez. Yes, so uh, we started working with uh, BBIF a few years ago and we worked with them on the New Market Tax Credit Program, another acronym called the NMTC program. And the NMTC program is run by the US Treasury where they use CDFIs and other intermediary organizations uh, to give them tax credits that private investors invest in to spark economic development. And so we invested into BBIF for economic development into Florida. And we've been doing that for a number of years with them. And recently during PPP, what we noticed was the the businesses that needed PPP most, we weren't reaching as a bank. And it can be very intimidating. I mean, for a lot of people, we've talked about this on this podcast, financial literacy itself is intimidating. And then to add on the urgency of being in the middle of a pandemic and feel like you're losing your livelihood. And then, I mean, I felt that where I just think I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this application online. This is just too yeah. much. Um, yeah. Will you please, yeah. since you've become absolutely boss at breaking down acronyms, uh, will you <laughs> remind everyone what PPP uh, means these days? We hear yes. it a lot. Yeah, so PPP stands for Paycheck Protection Program, and the Small Business Administration started the program to help small businesses meet some of the expenses that they were incurring during COVID that they necessarily didn't have the revenues to meet. And that covered uh, your payroll, that covered utilities, and lots of organizations, particularly the small companies, had a hard time really understanding the documentation you needed or the application. And... You know, if you are a sole proprietorship and you are trying to figure out this program in the middle of a global pandemic, you do sometimes need that touch and that human touch to be like, how do I do this? How do I even pull my QuickBooks to get the information that I need for this application? And that's really where CDFIs like BBIF stepped up. So acronyms aside, <laughs> um, can you... Tell me one of your most satisfying, personally satisfying stories of of the way that you know you've like reached out and and effected change in a community through what you do with CDC. Yeah, yeah, and I'll stay within the PPP model because I think that was very important for us because so the first round of PPP came and went, and what we realized after that was something was going on where the the banks just weren't serving communities that have historically been marginalized and disenfranchised. And so before the second round of PPP was announced as a team, both from the top of the house, the C-level suite, to boots on the ground, to me as a banker, kind of all come came together and said, well, how can we better meet the need of communities that have just like been left out. And that's where we really came up with CDFIs and CDFIs as the central solution to being able to get to places that we just couldn't. And we uh, came out with an initiative, a $50 million pool of money that will be provided to CDFIs. I think it, the number ended up being seven organizations that received uh, PPP liquidity funding. And that means that we provided them money for them to do what they do best, serve the communities that they know well, 
and provide more PPP than otherwise they could have in the past. Uh, and that's because a lot of folks all of a sudden doubled their loan volume like overnight because of PPP and they really needed us to step up to provide them that capital so that they could then go and deploy it out. And so we closed these loans, 50 million in loans to seven organizations in 10 days, 10 days. And I'm just so proud um, to be part of an institution that was able to turn a giant ship of a bank and like shift it over mm -hmm. to be like, this is what we're doing. Everybody get on board. This needs to close ASAP. Um, and I just really appreciate it that I think when there is a common goal that we all kind of got together, we're scrappy about it and we're able to deploy that loan capital. So when you say you bank CDFIs, that means you are providing funds to re local places all over the country and trusting them to then disperse and invest those funds. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And what what the CDF what I think of when I think of a CDFI banker is really the entry point to the bank. So this isn't just about loan capital. This is also about different banking products that we can provide. Uh, recently, many of our clients have actually been uh, getting bond rated, getting SMP ratings, and we've been able to shepherd them through the bond market and doing a bond issuance, a sustainability bond issuance. Uh, and so so my job really is the entry point to deliver the whole bank to our clients. And that includes grant capital. Uh, that, it, that just includes connecting folks to private wealth. It's really the range of helping our organizations grow and meet their capital plus needs. And I really love that Inez is CEO of something called BBIF that is explicitly for black business, right? What do you think that um, BBIF does that makes it so effective and successful in Florida? Technical assistance. That's it, right? They take the time, the staff take the time to get to know their clients, to train them, to walk them through an application or a budget or uh, what it means to take on debt. What is a covenant? Uh, just the financial education piece, the technical assistance piece, I think is what um, grows businesses. It's just not about building a business. It's about creating long-term wealth. And we heard in the first few podcasts, um, Greg Cunningham talking about the real issues when it comes to uh white wealth versus uh, black wealth, black and Latino wealth, and how it sends to a dollar. Um, I recently read a story in which over time there will be negative black wealth um, just based off of the current systems and policies. You know, Zoila, Inez talked about um, the, the influx of cash in this emergency time during COVID being very meaningful, but, but what uh people re really need is this to be sustained right a sustained level of support not just what uh stan little at the united way calls triage um so mm -hmm. how do you all handle that that kind of need yeah and i think i think recently we've we've taken a mirror to ourselves to say we're not doing enough. And Inez is right in saying, okay, thank you for PPP financing, but what's next? How, how are we gonna continue this partnership? This isn't just a one-time thing. This work has been here for decades and it's not just gonna change overnight. And so US Bank recently announced uh, a commitment of $100 million to African-American-owned businesses 
annually, uh, not just a one-time 100 million, but an annual $100 million commitment to African-American-owned organizations, African-American-led organizations and businesses. And that commitment, we really do see CDFIs helping play a part in how we deploy the capital. Uh, And we also see the commitment as the entry point for us to continue to do more. We've said it before, but doing real good isn't just about donations, it's about actions. So we reached out to the people on the ground taking U.S. bank funds and turning them into positive change in their communities. We want you to meet Laura Mullen, a co-owner of Bent Paddle Brewing Company, who's working to revitalize the business district in her city. My name is Laura Mullen, and I'm from Duluth, Minnesota, and I am one of the four co-founders of Bent Paddle Brewing Company. And we are in the Lincoln Park Craft District area um, and neighborhood of Duluth. Um, Our business, uh, so Bent Paddle is a craft brewery that was founded in 2013 um, by two married married couples, myself, uh, Laura, and my husband, Colin Mullen, and our business partners, Brian and Karen Tonis. And we all met in the the Twin Cities, Minneapolis area of Minnesota. Um, Colin and Brian were both brewers in the brewing industry. Uh, down in the cities, and I uh, had an event planning company, and my biggest client was the Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild, which is the association of uh, breweries in the state. And uh, Karen uh, and Brian, Karen had a different style of job, um, but loved craft beer and the industry um, with her husband, Brian, being a brewer. In general, um, we were convened by the Entrepreneur Fund, which is supported by the Duluth branch of LISC. And they said, you know, what do you have going on here? I see like there's some energy, um, but still the neighborhood isn't, you know, full force. So they convened us um, and it was, you know, we're busy business owners and to be, you know, to have to take a step out and like look around at what was going on, that was just, I think, the biggest key. Um, LISC and Entrepreneur Fund really just put us in a room to because they could see that there was energy there. And um, that convening in itself, uh, I think, is what created the spark that is now what we call the Lincoln Park Craft District. So um, that alongside a pop-up that they did. So the small group got together and the, the basic gist was, what do we see this neighborhood as? And I had uh, lived in Savannah, Georgia, and there's the Red Star District in Savannah. Savannah is full of artists and a beautiful community, but I was always impressed with this teeny little district when I was there in the early 2000s. Um, And it had just cute shops and artists and studios, and um, it's just this little teeny self-made area. And then um, when I moved to Minneapolis, where I met Colin and Brian and Karen, my business partners, um, Colin and I lived in Northeast Minneapolis, which has Art World and the Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association, which I was on the board of. And this whole district is the arts district of Minnesota. So there are tons of old industrial buildings that have turned into a grouped artist studios. And how that impacted the neighborhoods was just the, the, the bringing in of people to come to these open studio nights, the artists being there themselves. It was just a really unique neighborhood. So I'd had two experiences with neighborhoods like this and just seen how they'd grown and been on leadership boards, um, you know, alongside that, especially in Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, and just having seen how you can help direct that thought is where, you know, this group, when we got together for Lincoln Park, um, I brought up those examples. And I said, what's different here is that this isn't, those were primarily artist studios and businesses followed. What I thought was unique about, and what this group thought was unique about what we were doing is that we make beer, and yes, we have a small um, tap room, but the majority of our beer is manufactured for the marketplace. So small storefront, but most things are leaving out the back door. Uh, Chris is, was doing the same thing at Frost River. He had a, uh, had a storefront, but his primary business is online sales all over the world. 
And there were a few other examples like that um, that were kind of what we started to see as like, well, what if we were became a, a district of manufacturers, um, artisan manufacturers, but not just art studios, like manufacturers. So you're there to establish a business, but it's a handmade business. And um, that is where the, the idea for Lincoln Park Craft District, we make craft beer. Um, Chris is crafting packs at Frost River. Um, Tom from Duluth Grill was thinking of his next concept restaurant, um, his first after Duluth Grill, which is going to be called OMC, Oink Moo Cluck, and they were handcrafting barbecue. Um, so it all, the word craft just kept coming into our minds. It's part of our culture with craft beer. That's the name of the entire industry. And so we ended up saying, well, the Lincoln Park Craft District. Um, and it really just stuck from day one. As And then we, from there, said that's the kind, we need to get our messaging out there and say that these are the type of businesses that you should look into these empty storefronts um, and other areas. And they did. It, it was, and we thought this would take, I don't know, five years or whatever, but it happened like wildfire so fast. So Liz convened that uh, original meeting, but they also alongside Entrepreneur Fund and the Lincoln Park Business Group. And another group who's, who is set in the neighborhood is called Equilibrium 3. So those four entities, Duluth Lisk, uh, the Entrepreneur Fund, Lincoln Park Business Group, and Equilibrium 3 are the three um, organizations that help the neighborhood in different capacities. Um, but Lisk convened um, the first pop-up before any of these new businesses that we were trying to attract came this pop-up came to kind of show this vision of the neighborhood we had speakers uh and tables of business ideas that people were thinking of and um entrepreneurs could come in and be like I th i'm thinking of starting a business and i and i've heard about this neighborhood what do you think about it and we would do our best to convince them to come here and if they came in mass then we'd have a district and it worked it's amazing so that was a really great way um, the pop-up was a really visual way to showcase what was what could happen. But alongside that, um, every month we started having a, we formed a group called Advancing Lincoln Park. And the goal was that was to create this district. And then there was a marketing subarm to that. Um, so we we branded the district visually and logoed and all of that. So, and all of this was with the help of those organizations, Duluth Lisk, Entrepreneur Fund. Equilibrium 3 and Lincoln Park Business Group. So that is how the the, the uh, neighborhood came to be. And uh, we just, during those initial years at the Advancing Lincoln Park meetings, we'd have people from um, lots from the Twin Cities, many Duluthians themselves, but some from out of state would be coming to these meetings which were open to anyone and just, they'd be like, I have a business idea. Um, I think this neighborhood might be perfect for it. And we would direct them to resources and uh, network and just try to, again, convince them to to settle here because we, we love the idea of all these manufacturing, uh, locally manufactured businesses convening together in one craft district. Thank you uh, again. This is Laura from Bent Paddle Brewing Company in the Lincoln Park Craft District of Duluth. Um, just thanking uh, U.S. Bank and the Duluth branch of LISC for uh, everything that you guys have done for our business and for uh, the Lincoln Park Craft District neighborhood. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Real Good by U.S. Bank. If you like what you heard, listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.